Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're very glad you all are here. I would like to extend a special welcome to those of you visiting with us this morning. If you have questions about this faith or this congregation, please do ask the friendly people at the visitor table and they will do their best to answer your questions. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every human being. And so it is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Let us say together the words by which we light our chalice. In the light of truth and in the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. The words for today's call to worship are by the poet Rumi. Come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving, it doesn't matter. Ours is not a caravan of despair. Come, even if you have broken your vows a thousand times over. Come, yet again, come, come. Many people wonder how we can have a worship service that includes a congregation where people have roots in Christianity, roots in Buddhism, in Judaism, roots in earth-centered traditions, roots in humanism, and we all call ourselves Unitarian Universalists. One of the things that holds us together is our mission statement, and we say that, not the statement, but the mission. We say the mission statement every Sunday together. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. If you would, get quiet with me for a moment. Let us breathe deeply into the place where we are who we are. Let us breathe deeply into the place where we talk to God as we understand God or our inner wisdom. Our hearts are bombarded every day with news, family, obligations, worries, terrors, illness, finances. We worry about our family members. We hold all of those people for whom we are concerned in our hearts. We hold in our hearts the people who are in harm's way because of war or natural disaster, especially the people of Syria, the people in Nairobi. We hold our soldiers in our hearts. May we develop the strength to open our hearts to the suffering of others, open our hearts to the world, to bring the world with us into this sacred space, to know more clearly what we can do and what we can't do. In the quiet, may the spirit of love and truth flow through us. The reading for meditation is by the musician and philosopher 
John Lennon. Make your own dream. That's the Beatles story, isn't it? Well, that's Yoko's story, and that's what I'm saying now. Produce your own dream. If you want to save Peru, go save Peru. I mean, it's quite possible to do anything, but not to put it on the leaders and the parking meters. Don't expect Jimmy Carter or Ronald Reagan or John Lennon or Yoko Ono or Bob Dylan or Jesus Christ to come and do it for you. You have to do it yourself. That is what the great masters and mistresses have been saying ever since time began. They can point the way, leave signposts and little instructions in various books, books that are now called holy and worshipped for the cover of the book and not for what it says. But the instructions are all there for all to see have always been and always will be. There's nothing new under the sun. All roads lead to Rome. And people cannot provide it for you. I I can't wake you up. You can wake you up. I can't cure you. You can cure you. Let us continue our meditation with a Buddhist loving-kindness meditation or meta-meditation. We'll say this through three times. I'll say a line and you say it after me should you choose to. The first time through, we say this for ourselves. May I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well-being. The second time through, we say this for someone we love. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. The third time, as a spiritual exercise, we say this for someone against whom we have a resentment. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. May it be so. I've been preaching a series about the Buddhist Eightfold Path. Uh, Once every month or six weeks or so, I'll preach about it. I'm almost at the end of telling you about it. We've got a couple more to go. But... This one is about mindfulness. Now, I am terrible at mindfulness, so I'll just put that right out there. 
I, um, I prefer to think of this as a sermon about knowing what you're doing. That has a lot more appeal to me. Um, but, and also, I know it's a spiritual path. So, you know, you get offered a, a number of choices of spiritual paths now and then in this congregation. And it's good to pick one and follow it. Because um, just wondering what your spiritual path is is not really a spiritual path in itself. So you are welcome to use the, the Buddhist loving kindness meditation as your spiritual path, in which case you say it for yourself for six months before you start saying it for somebody you love, and then another six months, then you start saying it for someone about whom you are kind of indifferent. So um, you, you probably shouldn't tell them that they're the one. <laughs> and only after... That length of time, do you start saying it for people against whom you have resentment? But that's not the spiritual path I'm talking about right now. So I call this one present-mindedness because for some reason that speaks more to me than the word mindfulness. Present-mindedness. Because mindful always sounds kind of like one of those beautiful people who are really spiritual, kind of easily spiritual, and they're always kind of tall and willowy, and they do yoga really naturally well, and, um, and, they, and they talk in a really soft voice, and they, they don't ever seem to get irritated. So um, anyway, present-mindedness is something that feels like I can do. And I... Uh, I think I've been misunderstanding mindfulness for a while because the first time I learned about it, they said you have to do just one thing at a time. So when you're washing dishes, you just wash that one dish and you put your whole attention into it. It just, it makes me so irritated. I can barely stand myself after I try to wash dishes mindfully. Um, So I think it's probably working against my whole spiritual development thing. But um, then I, you know, I read a lot about it because Buddhism and I, we, uh, you know, it just sits there. But I am uh, very attracted to it, and then I'm a very reluctant Buddhist, so I feel like I'm kind of being drawn into this force field against my will. But I... Um, I do, I am very interested in it. And so I read about it. And, uh, and so when I read original Buddhist sources, I read that um, we fight mindfulness with eating, drinking, sex, activity, and company. And I think, well, you just named almost all the things that make life worth living. <laughs> I mean, really... I think most of us want our lives to be like that movie where they just spend time with their friends, having um, company and, and good food and then, you know, lovely intimacy with their, with their beloved. And um, uh, what? Does that fight mindfulness? But no, then I realize, no. Uh, we fight mindfulness with those things, but it doesn't make them bad. This is my residual Calvinist mind. See, and I say that affectionately because, you know, I was raised um, in a family where uh, we also fought Calvinism. But, uh, you know, it's, when you're fighting it, it's there. You're just reacting against it. It's as much there as it is if you surrender to it. So uh, I think it's either or. 
my Puritan mind. It's either or. I've got to either have a lovely life with companionship and, and lovely food and going to the movies, or I'm mindful. No, no, no. That's not what they said at all. That's the rule that I put on it with my own Puritan either or way of thinking. You see where I'm going with this? I misinterpreted the whole thing. So um, I can't resist mindfulness because of that anymore. In fact, I think that mindfulness probably would allow you to savor those things even more and be more present in the moment when you're at dinner with friends. You can really be present in the moment and it slows down when you're mindful. It slows the time down so you can really enjoy um, what you're doing. Um, the other things I read about mindfulness sounded kind of like this. I'm just going to give you a little taste of what some of these sources sound like. So you'll understand why I was, why I have been in trouble. Quote, usually the cognitive process begins with an impression induced by perception or by a thought, but then it does not stay with the mere impression. Instead, we almost always conceptualize sense impressions and thoughts immediately. We interpret them and set them in relation to other thoughts and experiences, which naturally go beyond the facticity of the original impression. Okay. I mean, it's like, right. Amen. Um, but it's, it's not that hard to understand, but it's just like, why do you have to use words like facticity? Why? Um, so I um, unpacked this for myself, and I know what they're saying is that things happen to you, and we've talked about this before, things happen to you. Events occur. And then you have thoughts about the things that happen, and then you start telling yourself stories about the things things that happen and your thoughts about the things that happen give you feelings about the things that happen. And sometimes your feelings are not accurate because your story about what happened is not necessarily accurate. You know, like, um, you're leaving church today. You're in the parking lot. You wave goodbye to somebody that you kind of know. You thought they kind of liked you. You kind of like them. You wave goodbye. They turn their back. They go into their car. They don't even wave back. Okay, so you so that's what happened, and then you have this thoughts about what happened, your story about what happened. You go, what? Why didn't she wave back to me? Uh, she must be mad. Um, what did I do to her? Maybe it was, and then you start taking your own inventory, you know, because you know what all is wrong with you. You're like, <laughs> maybe I did that thing to her that I do to other people sometimes. At least my ex told me I did it, and... Uh, Maybe, uh, maybe, well, she's got no right, she's got no right to be mad because she needs to just grow up. And then you're mad at her. But really, probably what happened was you waved at her and she thought, I don't know her that well. I bet she's waving to somebody behind me. And I don't want to look like a geek by going, bye, when she's not even waving at me. So I'm just going to leave it alone and get in my car and try to get out of the middle of this whole thing. You know that happens. And so you suffer because of your thoughts about what happened, and they're not necessarily um, accurate. One of my spiritual teachers is named Byron Katie. She's also a teacher of some of you all. 
And she tells this sort of earthy story. And she says, um, okay, I was in the ladies' room in the airport. And um, I heard this woman in the stall. She was singing to herself. And then, um, uh, and then she finished. And I went in after her. And the seat was just drenched. And I thought, ugh. That is so nasty. I can't even believe uh, believe that. And so she said, and I so I cleaned it up, and I sat down, and and I was having these thoughts about who was that? Why? She, what did she do? How in the world did she even? She said, and then when I flushed, all the water came up out of the. So she spent I don't know how many minutes just hating on that woman. Who could be singing? How could she be singing at the same time she was being so nasty? <laughs> so how do you be in the present moment? How do you just be in the moment and try to be aware of the thoughts you're having about what's happening and try to ask yourself, um, Byron Katie asks you when you're in the moment having a having feelings or thoughts about what's happening to you, ask yourself, is that true? Is it true? You go, that woman is so nasty. And then you go, is that true? Well, she says, then ask yourself a second question. Are you sure it's true? (laughs) And for most of your thoughts about things, there is some doubt about whether it's true. Like the woman in the parking lot. You go, well, she just we have a personality conflict of some kind. I don't know. Then Katie would say, Is that true? You go, well, I don't I don't really know. Are you sure it's true? No, I'm really sure it's not true. I, I mean I don't know. I'm sure I don't know. And then the spiritual teacher would say, the follow-up question is Can you think of a healthy and sane reason to hang on to that thought then? That you have a personality conflict with this person? Or that that woman in the airport bathroom is a nasty person? I can't really think of a sane reason to hang on to the thought. And then she says, by the way, which I love, don't try to get rid of the thought. Don't try to say, oh, I have to let that thought go now because that never works. (laughs) Never. Just ask yourself, is there a sane reason to hang on to it? And if your answer is no, you just go, huh. That's all. Just question it. You just question it. Once I was misquoted in the newspaper. In South Carolina, it was like the go-to source for the liberal uh, point of view. And they had an editor at that time that felt like you should get all points of view. So um, when they had something going on in the religious area, I was like the only one that could talk about religion and be liberal at the same time. So they uh, would ask me stuff. And um, when I was misquoted, my first thought was, oh, I sound like an idiot. There was a story about these billboards um, that were put up by Truth Ministries, Exodus Ministries, you know, people who uh, take gay people and make them heterosexual. Uh, They were advertising in this town that they could do this uh, for you if you wanted. And the paper called me about about it. And so they said to me, the reporter said, what do you think of this ministry of turning gay people straight? And I said, I thought the billboards were uh, deceitful and wicked using some 
theological language. <laughs> that they were deceitful and wicked. And they got that part right. So I was quoted as saying that in the paper, which was fine because that was correct. And then they said that I had said something like, there are some hints that homosexual lifestyle would have been frowned upon by the people of 2,000 years ago when these Bible books were written, but we wink at everything else they thought was wrong, which I did not say. Only an idiot would say something like that, really. And so for a long time that afternoon after I'd read that, I'd had this thought. Everybody in this town is going to think I'm cavalier about morality. And it was really bothering me. And then I thought, they're all going to think that Unitarian Universalists have no sense of right and wrong. That started bothering me. So I was mean at home that afternoon because I was thinking everybody in town thought I was an amoral idiot. And so I shouted at the dog and I grumped at my children and I, um, I was just generally hard to live with. And then I, then I, you know, grabbed hold of my sporadic practice of mindfulness and I thought, okay, I just need to breathe. This is my chance to practice. Okay. I'm going to practice. I'm having thoughts and I'm having feelings about those thoughts because everybody in town thinks I'm an amoral idiot and they think my church is trashy. And, um, and then I thought, is that true? Well, no, it's really not true because really only the people who read that article in the paper would have that thought and probably 200 people in town read the newspaper. And then anybody who knew me would know I'm not an amoral idiot So that cuts down the pool a little bit. And I'm just going to have to do what I can do about it and let the rest go. And so I wrote a letter to the editor and planned not to talk to that reporter again. And then I sat with the feeling of being misunderstood, which is a terrible feeling. I just sat with it. And I thought, this is just a feeling and it'll go away. And eventually it did. So you're going to get chances to practice mindfulness over and over and over and over and over in your life. Present-mindedness. And really all it is is show up, pay attention, and breathe. Show up, pay attention, and breathe. And this practice can have big consequences. Um, The next time I talk about the Buddhist Eightfold Path, we're going to talk about meditation. And I'll just tell you that that the people at the University of Massachusetts have started doing mindfulness training for their patients as part of their stress relief um, program. And mindfulness practice has been shown to help with all kinds of things, which I won't talk about today, but but later, and even better, the Johns Hopkins people, I believe it is, have shown that mindfulness meditation actually creates more brain matter. So people who are suffering with Parkinson's, for example, can do meditation and have a chance of um, really having some actual anatomical changes in the brain. It's powerful stuff. But really, you don't have to do it um, because there are a lot of things that are really good for us that we don't do. 
It's not just me, right? <laughs> and I love how they say in the, in the literature, John Kabat-Zinn is their teacher there at the University of Massachusetts. And what he says is, you don't have to learn this from scratch. Mindfulness is already in you. You already have experiences of being 100% in the present moment. You just don't, you're just usually not controlling that. I watched a documentary this week about... Um, these people who get flying suits, you know these flying suits, they kind of make you like a flying squirrel almost. They have, um, uh, anyway, I won't describe the whole suit to you, but you can jump off a mountaintop and fly. You fly, and then you have a little parachute on your back just in case it doesn't work out. And um, <laughs> so these people who uh, were climbing to the tops of mountains and then jumping off in their flying suits, uh, said, we love to do this because there's nothing like this that puts you right in the present moment. You're 100% alert. Because, it, you know, if you're not, you'll die. So that's a pretty good high stakes, uh, forcing yourself to be present-minded. Although I would prefer to do it in a meditation kind of way, not jumping off a mountain, although that does look kind of fun. But I've promised my children I will not do it. So they say mindfulness is already within you, and it is the place in you where you are who you are. It is the place in you where you are one with everything and everyone. It is a place in you where you can be clearer about the stories that you're telling yourself. It's the place in you where you can finally be quiet. And people who do meditate say that they feel they have more spaces in between the moments of their lives. As you get older, your life seems to go faster and faster. Until I talked to a 90-year-old man one time who said, I, th- I feel like I have breakfast every 10 minutes. <laughs> it just goes. But you can slow it down. And you can accept what's happening to you. John Kabat-Zinn, the mindfulness teacher, says that acceptance offers a way to navigate life's ups and downs, what Zorba the Greek called the full catastrophe. Don't you love that? Just accept life, the full catastrophe. So try this for yourself. I love that about the Buddhists. They say, don't believe me, just try it. The Buddha said, don't put anyone else's head on top of your own. If it doesn't make sense to you, don't do it. You don't have to have a leap of faith. You don't have to believe in anything. Only embrace that which you know in the depth of your blood and marrow to be true. Please say with me the words by extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. 
Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.